Thanks for tuning in. Before we start the show, we have an announcement to make. We got gear for you. Yeah, due to popular demand, we've got some proper nice t-shirts with our famous logo on the front. We've even got two style with caps. We've got the trucker cap and the best-selling uh, lazy slouch adjustable cap. And more importantly, we've got a beer mug, a whiskey glass, and a coffee mug to go. So you can be listening to our podcast no matter what you're doing, whether you're having a cigar at night or you're on your way to work. So you can pick up whatever you like there. Mike, where can they find it? All you got to do is go to freakstrength.com slash shop, freakstrength.com. Click on the shop. Once you click on shop, pictures are going to show up of our merchandise. Click those pictures right there. There you have it. Mike and Brooker show merchandise right there. Scroll right down. Order whatever you can to support the show. Show everyone that you are avid listeners of the Mike and Brooker show. Yeah. Show, your, show yourself as an original disciple of the show. And guys, we just want to thank you once again for the love and support. It means the world to us. But in order for us to keep doing this, we need to keep receiving feedback. So no matter what it is, good, bad, or ugly, we're open to everything. We want to keep delivering the best information possible. So thanks once again for all the love, and we hope to hear from you soon. Thanks, guys. Sunshine now. It looked like London for too long. Yeah. <laughs> I remember we played over there. I was standing on a practice field, Brooke, and um, I'm watching these planes come in, and they're coming in sideways, and – I'm like, how the fuck? Why, why do you even want to come visit this island? <laughs> <laughs> you can't even land a plane straight. They're all over the place. Uh, I just, I was afraid to take off. Oh, yeah. That was probably <laughs> primetime summer as well, huh? Uh, no, it was, in, it was in November, probably oh. three years ago. Yeah, then it's going to be bad. So the weather wasn't that great. Um, you know, every time... Uh, Monica and I turn on Netflix to watch like a little series. It's, it's all you English and Brits anymore. <laughs> you, you can't get an American-made like little mini-series. <laughs> you, you watch TV? What do you watch on TV, man? Honest to God, yeah, I'm a fanatic me. on, you ever hear of King of Queens? Nah, I don't know what that is. <laughs> that motherfucker, he makes me laugh. And I've seen every episode a hundred times. And I watch um, Paranormal Caught on Tape ancient aliens uh and that's about it to be honest with you those are you know my when i was growing up my grandmother used to say i have to hurry up and watch my programs you know the guiding light young and restless uh whatever the other ones were i tell monica i say i have to go home so i have to watch my programs you know <laughs> paranormal caught on tape uh ancient aliens and king of queens every once in a while i watch i love the big bang theory and everybody loves raymond but that's about it i don't watch anything else Rest of the time, I'm either reading or skinny dipping in my pool in the backyard. <laughs> nice. You That's still in shape? Oh, yeah. I go to gym every day. Yeah, well, for sure. But how you hold, are you still, because didn't you have some shoulder issues the last time, I, or elbow issues the last time I saw you? Well, you know, I've had three shoulder surgeries on my right. I've had both triceps and my elbows reattached. Uh, I ruptured my Achilles. Um, you know, I have this autoimmune disease called psoriatic arthritis which is just brutal. So, you know, obviously they treat me to immunosuppressant, Voltaren and folic acid. And now I got a high blood pressure problem. So uh, I'm trying to work around all that. This morning I told Mike, I'm like, man, I don't know if I can do this. I'm a little lightheaded and dizzy because my blood pressure was up. And my youngest daughter, Claire, 
uh, is a nurse, and I think she became a nurse because of her daughter, her sister Kara's situation. So, you know, Claire sends me a blood pressure monitor for home and at work. I said, Claire, I got trainers at work. She goes, just put it in your office and shut up. So uh, she's on me about monitoring all the time, but it was a rough morning. I think I'm pretty stable right now. If I go down, you'll see it, and that'll be the end of the show. <laughs> that's that simple. That simple. So anyway, um, I have no idea why you guys called and wanted to talk to me. Yeah, here here we go yeah, with this sure. fucking humble shtick. He's so full of shit. Um, if you are more I'm, intelligent than I'll ever be, and more brighter. Shut up. You know, just like we live as long as you. I was listening to Boosh next Nader this morning on a podcast, and I'm thinking. Jesus, I got so much more to learn. So the one thing I have realized after being involved in this profession for 41 years and being 63 years of age, I know the extensiveness of what I don't know. So I could show you my desk right now. And, you know, I have James Smith's book out, and I'm reading, rereading his book on the governing dynamics of coaching. I have um, a book that Dan Pass suggested to me a long time ago, and it's by Joffrey Dyson, The Mechanics of Athletics. And I have a bunch of articles on my desk that I read and research every day. So every day out of my, you know, this is a very uncharted water for everybody. All the coronavirus and all the other things that are going on in this nation. So I still make time that I try to read. I listen to your guys' podcasts. I love the caricature of you two. I don't think anybody has a better character for a podcast uh, than you two. (laughs) You should fucking put T-shirts out. We did. We did? did? Yeah, we got T-shirts. I'll send you one. Yeah, we sent him one for sure. I don't have one. Make sure you cut the sleeves off. We got a sleeveless. Bro, we got got whiskey glasses. We got coffee mugs. We got beer beer mugs, T-shirts, and hats. All right, I'll take a T-shirt. I don't wear a hat. You should. I know I should. Again, my kids and Monica always on me about that, but – I just can't bring myself to do that. But I appreciate the opportunity to be here, especially with uh, two people I consider are pioneers in this profession. And I think it's important to be a pioneer and not wait for what research and science tells us. I think if it makes sense, you go ahead and do it and worry about the research later to verify it. So I've always okay. believed in common sense training as we have talked. So. Um, you know, I followed Charlie Francis significantly. I had, a, um, I was very blessed to develop a great relationship with him before he passed away. Um, in fact, if I could ever figure out Facebook and technology today, I would probably respond to Angie Coon's message that she sent me a couple of weeks ago, but I have no idea how to do that. I had enough trouble getting on this thing, not having a panic attack and anxiety. So, uh, you yeah, we're all fortunate that I was able to get on. But I appreciate the opportunity. As I said, I think you two are pioneers, uh, you know, along with Anthony Paroli, uh, Aaron Wellman, you know, Tommy Myslinski, who I've had uh, the opportunity not only to have Mike as an intern, but uh, Anthony and Milo as assistants. You know, I think uh, my wife's son, Monica, uh, her son, Fred, does a great job. Uh, unfortunately, he's in a shithole of a town called Buffalo, New York. <laughs> which that's all I'll say about that because I don't feel like going get my blood pressure up any higher. Uh, Eric Cressy, Mike Roberts. I think there's some great young people out there. There's a kid in Pittsburgh. His name's Austin McClintock, who I've been uh, speaking with. Uh, I have the honor of 
spending time with Corey Schlesinger, who's a strength coach for the Phoenix Suns. You know, yeah, I, I coach. I'm a physical preparation coach for the Sport of American Football. But the uh, the ability to talk, the opportunity to talk to somebody who has a great mind and get the perspective from a different sport and how he perceives the Sport of American Football and how he trains athletes has helped me drastically to increase my knowledge. So I think as coaches, it's a never-ending quest for the Holy Grail. Will we ever find that Holy Grail? I doubt it. Uh, I think people are, you know, that's why I'm not a big fanatic on models. I think all models are wrong. I think some are useful, but I think what models don't take into account is the yet-to-be-discovered unknowns or the individual. What kind of and models are you talking about? Well, like ACL rehabs. Uh, everybody just wants to follow. When you, get, when you have surgery, you know, they give you a model. Follow this. You should be here at this point in time. You should be doing this. Yeah. And, and I think they're all wrong. Uh, I really do. do. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I mean, I've had people come in, and when we're doing rehabs, they say, well, how long? I say, who the fuck knows? I don't, exactly. fucking, I don't fucking know. I don't have a crystal ball, Mike. Yeah. You know, I had, we signed Max Garcia from the Denver Broncos last year. He tore his ACL non-contact in practice. I think it was in October. And usually after they get about five months, the trainers hand, and they uh, show competency in jumping. We jump on a force plate, and they're basically given to me. And then I had A.Q. Shipley, who was a 10-year veteran, who was our starting center uh, this year, but it was the previous year. So I had two, two ACLs, and both were completely different rehabs. Both were at different uh, time landmarks at different times. Both responded differently to different protocols. And like everybody, like you just said, I don't know. I just take it day to day. Here's what the plan is for the day. Obviously, you know, nothing ever goes according to plan. So plan A usually switches to plan B. As long as plan B is as close to plan A, uh, you're still accomplishing the same, the same uh, abilities and re, uh, rehabbing the same qualities. So like I said, I don't think, I, I don't trust models because I, I think everybody's an individual. I think you're going to have responders and non-responders. And I think it's your job to find who responds best to what. I don't like cookie cutter programs. I've always said that. Uh, I think people are, you know, you look at a hierarchy of abilities or qualities needed for each position, it's completely different. And yeah. the more you know, the more you got to account for. I, and the more I, you got to account for, hold on, the more you got to learn, the more you got to learn, it becomes overwhelming at times. I, I also think, though, too, the cookie cutter, the cookie cutter program, and, and the only reason I interrupted you is because you say that on no, every right. fucking podcast. Um, I, the, 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 the cookie cutter program is a base. We all have, we all have a cookie cutter program. If you look at it from a generic, t uh, generic template, right. From that perspective, right, exactly, exactly. right. But it, it, there, there has to be deviation in, in between, you know, no question. It's just like the concept of periodization. I think of having a plan is great, but nothing ever, you can't predict where somebody's going to be 16 weeks from now. No, because you have to account for the multifactorial complex nature of the human body, how it responds to loading. But more importantly, you have to take into account the uncertainty of daily readiness. And like Dan Paff says, the athlete got to meet you 50-50, Mike Booker. Now they've got to meet us 90-10 because I'm writing programs, but they're all voluntary because they have to be voluntary. Yeah. And I have no idea if they're being done. So if you're not – if your asshole isn't real tight right now as a physical preparation coach, especially in this league, you shouldn't be coaching because I'm nervous 
as we get closer and closer to the prospective camp date, I haven't seen my rookies. I've had no time with them. You can call and ask questions to college collegiate physical preparation coaches or SNC coaches, but guess what? It's not the same as having them in your program and seeing how they respond to what you're asking them to do. So that makes me nervous. And all this assessment plus the coronavirus and all the testing has to be done when they get back. I'm, I'm five weeks, I think, believe me, I believe our rookies are tentatively scheduled to report July 21st. So that's roughly five weeks or four weeks. Yeah, four weeks. That late? I'm losing sleep at night. They're, they're going to start that late. I, I was See, I've been anticipating for my guys uh, July, 20, uh, July 17th-ish. Yeah, they, you know, I, I've heard several different dates, Mike, but nobody has quantified that for me. Nobody yeah. said, yeah, this is it. Yeah. Uh, I'm going off of what I've been told in our organization. I think the, the rookies are the 21st, and I think the vets are July 28th. Now you have to decide how you're going to expose these guys and gradiate the exposure to the stressors of the sport of American football without having OTAs. And yeah. think about this. Everything we do in life is hardwired into our nervous system. So come the third week of April, their bodies were expecting to be training. They were expected – their bodies, as, as every coach did, expected to be coaching a large group of people and moving towards physical preparation in our sport, getting back on the field, doing the specific things that are required for the sporting activity. That is non-existent this year. So this is going to be, like I said, it's uncharted waters for everybody. It's going to be interesting to see how everybody mitigates this because we're all in the same boat, and it's every sport. You know, I've talked to Corey about basketball. Uh, you know, things are still up in the air there. Things are still up in the air of baseball and hockey. And the, the longer you prolong – then you just – why even bother doing it, to be honest with you? Because you're just going to play for a short period of time, get time off, and then come back again. So I think it's been a long time since we've seen sports in this country. But for physical preparation coaches, it, it's very nerve-wracking. And unfortunately, you know, unfortunately there's not a lot of people like you two out there who understand the bioenergetic demands of sport of football and how to actually train people. You're not beating them down into the ground. You're not pulling on a lactic fest every day. You're not saying, okay, push the power for till your, your tongue is dragging on the ground. You know, you're looking at the energetic demands of the sport system, the sporting activity. Can you guys see me? Oh yeah. yeah I got you now. Yeah. Okay. I got lost there. I thought, Oh no, not now. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and we're not able to do that. You know, but like I said, there's very few guys like you out there and there's very few people that, I, that we send out to our players a list of facilities that we recommend they train in, depending on where they are. Some of the things I've seen these guys do, you know, I think the more specific you try to get in the weight room, the more gimmicky you become. Yeah. And when you're talking about high foresight or high intensity, you can't get fancy. It's very simple and basic at best. You know, like I said, I was listening to a podcast from Boosh Nextnader who was on Just Fly Sports with Joel Smith. And he talks about when he's high intense, he's just very basic in his movements and his qualities. And nothing could be more true than what he says. But these guys are trying to recreate the wheel and, you know, getting real gimmicky in a weight room. You really don't allow, in my opinion, trying to get specific in a weight room. Besides getting too gimmick, you don't allow the body to express those outputs, and you miss, I really believe, you miss the big changes 
in the global, ad, the global adaptations that we're all trying to achieve with our athletes. So I've always said simple is best. Don't get gimmicky. The basics are the basics for a reason because they work. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, I'm not a fan of social media, as you guys know, but I think there are some quality Instagrams out there. I, there's a guy, I don't know if you know him, uh, Booker, his name's Stefan Jones. And I think he's in England. Uh, he's a cricket physical preparation coach. He puts out some great uh, stuff. Yes. Yeah. I think he's been, you know what I'm talking about? I think he's been, he's did some work with James, I think, James yes. Smith, or he consulted with him or something like that, I believe. Yeah. yeah. He's heavily influenced by James. I think there's a guy in, I want to say Ireland, and I, and I don't get this wrong because Robbie Burke told me, uh, John Keeley, who has questioned periodization. Yeah. And going back to what you were talking about in periodization, I think it's just a concept. In the perfect world, nothing is ever going to go a smooth, paved highway from point A to point B. You're going to have potholes. You're going to have twists and turns. You're going to have to make adjustments based on your athletes and how they're responding. And like Dan Paff said, they have to meet you 50-50. So you control them for two hours a day. What are they doing the other 22 hours? If you look at KPIs and lifestyle KPIs, you know, what's your sleep hygiene? Are you hydrating? Are you eating properly? How are you dealing with the stressors of life in general? And everybody's ability to respond to stress and what I consider stress, what you consider stress, what might consider stress is specific to each of us. Yep. You know, so that, that all has to be accounted for. But I think the athlete nowadays has to be more accountable simply because they want more time off. Okay, if you want more time off, then it's your responsibility to do the things we're asking you to do. I don't want to see you on Instagram running in the sand. Well, what, you play, are you playing beach volleyball? I don't want to see your, your little tiny foot ladders. Like Charlie Francis says, you know, you get all these little ladders out and you make these short choppy steps and you actually destroy the natural rhythm of the human body or how the human body develops. You know, if you want to be specific, then train the sport all year round. I mean, play the sport all year round. And when you talk about playing a sport all year on, one other thing I'll throw out to you guys, if you don't want to get injured, don't play sports. Yep. Forget it. Don't, don't even fucking participate in any sport. Because what people don't understand on this level, and Mike, you know this, you're getting guys who are 21, 22 years of age. If they started playing football at the age of 12, that's eight, nine years of accumulative trauma with each level increasing force outputs and collisions. You get guys who are in the NFL, though. He's only been in the NFL for four years, but he's been playing football for 10. And every level, the intensity of the activity, the outputs becomes greater and greater. One of the best quotes I ever heard was, remember Jerome Bettis, who played for the Pittsburgh Steelers and is in the Hall of Fame. He just said, my body only has so many hits in it, and it's, it's time. I was blessed to have the opportunity to work with Carson Palmer at the end of his career. And the day he retired, you know, he sat in my office and he just said, buddy, I'm just, it's, it's time. I know it's time. My body's had enough. And yeah. fortunately he made, what was it, 15, 16 years. Fortunately, Larry Fitzgerald, I think this is his 17th year, but the best thing that ever happened to Larry is James Smith. Because before he was just training in a lactic fest. So when I first came here, he asked me to introduce him to somebody to train him that would be in line with what we were doing. I hooked him up with James, and those two have been married ever since. And James has done a phenomenal job with him. 
because Larry was used to running 300 yard shuttles, which drives me nuts. Was used to running one one fifties, and I, I saw some of the programs he was doing. You know, you do a one fifties, then you try to come back after your fatigue and try and do accelerations. It doesn't work. It's not the way the body's designed. You're, you've got it all backwards. So James has been a blessing to Larry and has enabled Larry to play for a lot. Like this, has really extended Larry's career, to be honest with you. Happy days. What, it's what not if, just this long, long, you know, you were saying about, it's not just this, this 10 years up to the NFL. It's also all the crazy training that they've gone through with, you know, coach after coach after coach, thinking that they've got to try and, you know, rip these guys a new arsehole. You know what? And I blame this. I don't want to say blame. Maybe that's the wrong word. You know, college head football coaches are fanatics about making them puke. I worked for a guy at the University of Buffalo. He wasn't happy unless there were trash cans all around the weight room or in what he called his infamous fourth quarter program at 6 a.m. in the morning unless guys were puking. And he was walking around with his chest stuffed out going, <laughs> you know, that's not training. It doesn't take a genius to beat somebody into the ground. I think chasing, always chasing maximal strength and saying, you know what, just add another plate to bar is not the answer. Yeah, I think maximal strength is important in the beginning. I think it's a mistake to continually chase it over time, especially when you get to this level. I think for different positions, maximal strength isn't really that important for skill guys, in my concern, in my opinion. You think about this, athletes get stronger via multiple means. You'll never have anything that produces the force that true speed work does or running at max velocity. When training, in fact, in my, my opinion, if you train acceleration development, if the recoveries are, are right, you get the best speed and power development you ever get. I think in early time, in, when you're early in your career, yeah, strength will make you fast. But as you get older, I think it just becomes very general. It just supports the quality of speed and power development. You got to remember, our athletes that we deal with are generalists in the weight room. They are not specialists. This is very general to them. Our job is to allow them to do what they do. And that's to play the sport of football. You know, we've been in the weight room long enough, all three of us, that when we get under a bar, we know what to do. These guys are clueless. You know, that's why I've always not, I'm a, I love Olympic lifting, but I'm not a fan of it for these guys. For, for sport athletes, because some will be good, some will be, most will be horrendous at it, and I think there's safer alternatives. I think it's our job to help them achieve optimum performance levels using methods and means, you know, when we say means, we mean exercises, that yield the highest possible results at the lowest cost, because the sport is the highest cost. Every Sunday in the NFL is a max effort day. So I can't ask them during the season to go balls to the wall heavy in the weight room because I'm just tapping into recovery methods. I'm robbing Peter to pay Paul. And I'm, and I'm not willing to do that. So I think chase, I think if you spend too much time chasing maximal strength or always trying to add another plate to the bar, I think you can cause distress or distract from developing the other physical qualities and cause uh, significant physiological stressors that may lead to issues later on. You know, I got a guy here. I'm not going to say where I got him from, but his whole life he's been battling patellofemoral problems. And, you know, every time he comes back from clearing up, you know, we, we go right back to heavy squatting. Well, that's causing an issue, so get away from it. If that's not a good exercise for him at that point in time in his career and he's not responding well, do something else. Listen, not all my guys squat here, and I know that's blasphemy. And I'll bet you, Mike, when you train your guys, not all your guys squat. 
uh, almost none of them. There you go. Thank you. You know, people don't understand the neuromuscular development obtained through speed and power training will greatly assist in strength gains. I've always believed sprinting will drive up weights. Weights don't necessarily drive up sprinting. You there's, know that. There's, there's two positions that I can quote right now. Uh, offensive lineman I had for, he ended up playing 10, 11 years in the NFL. Offensive lineman, I've seen him squat four times in his entire, since I've known the guy. And right. two of the four times were after he retired. Then I also have Devin McCourty. Ask me how many times I've put a bar on Devin McCourty's back. I'll bet you zero. Fucking zero. And he's one of the best in the business. And, and for, for 10 years. Yep. Yeah, it's the same thing with Pat Peterson. I have Pat Peterson, Mike. He hasn't squatted since I've been here. Mm -hmm. And he's one of the best in the business. And he lines up and plays every Sunday. That's the key. Yep. No one in you know, the past 10 years, no one's taken more defensive snaps than Devin McCourty. 9,995. They just released that stat. That, that, that's a tremendous amount of snaps. That's incredible. That says a lot for his physical preparation and for him. You know? Yeah. So, but you'll get arguments that, no, they got to squat. They got to clean. They got to bench press. Listen, if it strengthens the arms, the extensions on the arms and a scapular plane, who gives a shit if they bench press, dumbbell bench, loaded push-ups, cable press or machine press. So if it strengthens the extensors, excuse me, of the ankle, knee, and hips, who cares if it's a squat? Oh, boy, I'm losing my battery here, Mike. Hold on. You still there? <laughs> yeah, we're still here. Yeah, yeah. Okay, if I sh shut out, it's because my phone doesn't respond real well to this battery. Okay, I'm good. I got it. I just got to hold it in one place. Thank God for merit technology, huh? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I yeah, but you're right, though. I mean, it's the same with the legs. You could chuck a log on your, you know, a tree trunk on your back and go hike up a mountain. It's the, you know, what does it really matter at the end of the day? Isn't it the old Charlie Francis quote, like, getting strong is like falling out of a boat and hitting water? I think that's is James that, Smith. Oh, is yeah. that James? Yeah. Yeah, that was James. It's not that hard. And, and, and you know, it's just a stimulus. Listen, you, you've been in the league for 12, 14 years, Mike. Like you said, you had an offense lineman at least squatted twice and two of the times were after he played in the league. By the end of the year, they don't want to put a bar on their back. They're beat up. I had four of my offensive linemen last year who were all eight to 10 year vets, and one was 11. And we just belt squad the last four weeks because our bye week was like week 12. And I flat loaded the last four weeks. I said, All right, here's the load you're going to use. Here's the reps you're going to get. I don't care how you get them. You can do three sets of four, four sets of three, six sets of two, or two sets of six, but you can't do 12 straight reps. And they felt great by the end of the year yeah. and had no issues after a bye week, excuse me, a bye week being that late. So they're just stimuluses. They're not going to put a platform or a rack at midfield, at midcourt, at mid pitch prior to a game and say, okay, fellas, let's have at it. It comes down to, especially on this level, you talk about those co-actives or components of achieving mastery of sport. The tactical is driven by the technical. The technical is driven by the psychological. And the psychological on this level is, the, is driven by the physical, which allows them to manifest their abilities through the skills that they display on the field. So you have to develop a PhD on this level. You know, people say, as a, and I get to some coaches all the time, as a rookie, he's slow. It's not that he's slow. It's just he's not processing the, the external stimuli very quickly and responding it very well with the physical accuracy. Accuracy. He has to think too much. 
And you know, once you think, you slow things down. Once you're high anxiety, you slow the processing of, of reaction down drastically. It's the same thing, you know, here, here's, you know, Mike, and you and I have talked about that. Here's these, some of these words that drive me crazy in this country now are like dysfunction, normal, normative. Listen, motherfucker, what's normal for you might not be normal for me. How about that? And the core is not the end all to be all. I've had, and it, it drives me nuts when position coaches come to me and says, he's horrible at pass blocking, he needs more core work. How about you take some fucking time and work on a technical school of pass blocking and stop worrying about the core? This fucking guy's in the NFL. His core is perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. He's been in the league for five years. His core is fine. He doesn't need, you know, people look at me and say, how come you don't do more core work? I'm like, for what? Here, I'll get them drunk and have them go puke or tell them a funny story and make them laugh like a motherfucker. <laughs> I tell them sneeze, sneeze for 10 sets of 10. You're fine. There you go. <laughs> then you got your German volume in too. Explosive repeats. There you go. That's <laughs> what that is. Explosive repeats. You know, if you throw a med ball off the wall, you have to reflectively fire your core to stabilize, do you not? If I do a, like, Mike, I remember, so I use a med ball warm-up for my guys. Mm-hmm. And it's part of, because I'm, I'm a firm believer that your warm-up, there should be a blurred line between the warm-up and the actual training session. It should progress mm-hmm. from general to specific. Um, there should be a blurred line. There should be, it should bleed right into the workout. I think the mistake people make is they come in a weight room and they go, okay, I'm a bench. I'm going to start warming up on a bench. No, you're not going to start warming up on a bench. We're going to do some quality tissue work. We're going to do some uh, mobility work with sticks, uh, PVC pipes. We're going to do some band work, and then we're going to throw med balls off the wall. One of the med ball exercises we do is you stand perpendicular to the wall. Left arm is extended straight, and the right arm is extended on the outside of the med ball. And just small amplitude of movement, reactive on and off the wall. Well, you have to fire the external obliques to help stabilize because it's anti-rotation. You throw a med ball off the wall, you reflective of fire as you receive the med ball and respond to that kinetic energy and throw it back off the wall as fast and violent as you can. Because now I'm priming the nervous system what I'm asking the body to do when they go on the floor. When I go on the floor, if I do a straight arm pullover, I say crush your lower back into the ground. Is that not core work? If I do a dead bug, is that not core work? If I do a, a push-up, so we do push-ups off the med ball, yeah, every time I switch and change the med ball, roll it over, to me, a push-up is just nothing more than a moving plank. Pull your dick to your belly button. Go into posterior pelvic tilt. You, so I think these words, these buzzwords that are out there have been created by PTs who have lost their mind in movement. And if we all look at movement, I was fortunate enough to hear Keenan Robinson speak a couple years ago at the Central Virginia, um, down at Richmond. And he talked about, if you show, see a picture of Michael Phelps, who has more gold medals than anybody, he's highly confident with a head forward, forward head posture. He's got 52 gold medals. You're going to argue with him? <laughs> <laughs> Here's the difference, though. If he didn't win 52 gold medals, every posture guru, which a well, posture... Well, this is why is he didn't win. Exactly. That's why mm-hmm. he didn't win. Posture is dynamic in nature. It's not static. It's the same thing with the same bolt, fastest man in the world. Watch him coming out of the blocks. Tremendous internal rotation of his hip. Am I not? He's six foot five plus he has scoliosis. And you've heard Dan talk about it. He, he's mitigated that and used that to his advantage. He's found a way to use that to his advantage. But if he wasn't running those times, say, remember Michael Johnson, you hold, former world record holder of 400 meters? Hyperlordosis. Uh, yep. But who, here's the key. Who's to say he's not right and everybody else is wrong? Yep. 
yeah. in running that race. Nobody thinks about that because we're a gimmick-oriented society. I was laying in bed last night, Monica, watching TV, and lo and behold, here comes another gimmick, the, vi the, the vibration flat platform to train on. Five minutes a day is like being in a gym for two hours. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Every fat fucker in the world right now is dialing the phone for $14.95 for that 30-day free trial. And they're going to suck you in because they put a little, couple bands on there and you're going to do exercise. It's, it's just, we are such a gimmick-oriented. Listen, the Soviets are not holding any double probation tops never seen before training methods from us. All right? They've all been written about by every Berkoshansky, Bondarchuk, Ishurin, uh, Zatsortsky. Same thing with that stupid word, functional. I'm going to train. We're going to do functional training. I'm going to become a functional certified strength coach. Fields and adaptation of what you're training for is functional in nature. Am I wrong? Just because you don't like to bench press doesn't mean it doesn't benefit. And I agree. Yeah, so I can do dumbbell bench. There's multiple, like we just talked about. There's multiple different ways to get somebody strong. And one of the best ways, in my opinion, is we've always talked about, and what Charlie taught me years ago, and my background is in, in track and field, sprinting. There's not an exercise in the weight room that will ever mimic the forces, you'll experience ground reaction forces, than sprinting. Mm -hmm. You'll never mimic that in a weight room. What am I going to do? Have somebody, look, if it's truly five times ground reaction forces and musculoskeletal forces, so if I put a thousand pounds on somebody's back, have them hop around a weight room with a single leg, first of all, as the load goes up, the speed is going to go down. I'll never match those forces. But yet, most coaches don't program that. I and think, if it is, I think it, a. I think a five, five sing, I think a repetitive five single leg rebound is the only thing that mimics, that mimics it. That, it, it exactly. That's uh, you know what, Mike, there was a, and this came from Ken Clark and Peter Whalen, and it talked about single leg speed hops. Mm -hmm. In single leg speed hops, you'll create greater forces than you will in landing on one leg and maximal sprinting. So if you really think about that, if that's true, once the nervous system figures out it could do that, I think what you're saying bolts fastest times, 27.8 miles an hour. 20, yeah, something like that, 26.8. Oh, you know it is. And, and I, you know, human beings will have the capability of running 35 miles per hour. And that's what the studies show. Now, I do think there's a difference, and you have to make this distinction between speed and velocity. You know, speed, his speed can be 24 miles an hour. His velocity is going to be like 35 feet a second. And those are two different things. And this book that Dan suggested I get, I've read, I think, the first 15 pages 10 times. Yeah. Because, you know, because I say, yeah, you got to read 10 pages a day. But what I don't tell people, Mike and Booker, is there's sometimes I got to read one page 10 times. Mm -hmm. You know, my, my office, if I would show you my desk right now, you can't see my desk. I could show you all the books I have. And people say, have you read all those books? I'm like, I haven't read all of them. I've had, I've read some of all of them, you know, so if I write a program or if somebody says something or if I hear something on your podcast and I think to myself, boy, am I a dummy? I got to go look this up. I go write the books and start researching it. <clears throat> so this is why, even though we have force plates, I'm taking Matt Jordan offers a course online. Uh, I'm taking it to the end of the month for on force plate, on force decks readings and force plate, because I think those have helped me drastically with our athletes. Now, that being said, I take into account nine to 10 criteria. And one of the most important ones is fatigue because that can drastically affect how somebody jumps and everybody has different movement strategies. 
and your fatigue levels are going to fluctuate on a daily basis. And if you've had an ACL, that could be, you know, talking to Dan when I, I visited Dan before <clears throat> the COVID virus hit. I don't know, so we were talking about, you know, some of the things in landmark positions and timing and force velocity and force vectors. And, you know, he said, you know, be a year and a half to two years before movement actually stabilizes itself post-ACL surgery. But yep. again, some of these guys get by because they're such freakish athletes. And we've all trained freakish athletes. You know that. Show me somebody who's not freakish that you've had a positive influence on to help them achieve higher levels of performance in their sporting skill. Not just, you know, the tests they do, because I've seen guys test like Tarzan look like Jane on the field. You know, so I think there's a lot to be considered <clears throat> when it comes to, you know, you got to hear these guys speak, and they always show their freaky athlete. It's easy to show your freaky athlete. I raised my hand one time and asked the guy, I said, is that everybody on your team? You know, and kind of stumped him. He's like, well, I you know, no, it's not. Just, just fucking admit it. No, it's not. Yeah. It's the freak. football trained freaks. I could start naming freaks galore, but that's not – I've just been blessed and fortunate enough to be in the right place at the right time to work with them. That's all. Trust me. I don't make Larry Fitzgerald, Larry Fitzgerald. And I don't make Pat P, Pat P, or Kyler Murray, Kyler Murray. They're just freakishly – they're just gifted people. Buddy, what's some of the uh... – What's some of the, the techniques or means that you're using right now, which, you know, they're more from your experience and from your pattern recognition over the years. They're not sort of scientifically supported, but you feel like that they're adding something to your program. What's, what's some of those sort of things? Um, if it's important at the end of your program, I think it needs to be present at the beginning of your program. So a couple of years ago, Mike and I talked about how to introduce these guys to acceleration work. And I followed the plan to the point uh, we did tempo work every day to condition the tissue to prepare. But one thing I did book, and, and, and I don't think there's going to be any scientific study doing this, to mimic the posture and lower leg action of acceleration in a slow, controlled environment. I started guys just dragging a sled, their hands behind them, just so I could look at their lower leg action <clears throat> in a controlled environment acceleration before I actually, along with doing what Mike had prescribed as far as the tempo work was designed. Then I moved that, because I think at some point, at some time, you know, arm action can distract away from what goes on below the, at the in lower body. So from there, then I, after about two or three weeks of that, when I was happy with their postural alignment, I was happy with how they're putting their foot into the ground, because everybody talks about rate of force development now, but if it's, in, it's, if in, if it's not the proper timing, if it's not the proper angles, if it's not the proper force vectors, what good is it? You know, like I said, physical preparation coaches or SSC coaches, they're, they're famous for coaching technical skill in a weight room, but then when they get on the field and everybody starts trying to run fast, nobody says a word. You know, just, well, that's what they're going to do. And that's why you get these field sport athletes with tremendous backside mechanics or that longer loop. And, you know, the greater the athlete's ability to collapse the knee or the recovery leg, he increases his ability to mitigate the mechanical uh, cost of bringing the leg forward. So every physical action has a cost. I think the more inefficient you are at a physical action, the greater the cost, the greater the energy expender, expenditure, uh, the greater the energy or power leaks. I've seen, you know, 
before I, and, but let me go back to my sled pulling. And then I start to actually pull the sled in a marching position, slow controlled environment, heavy with your arm action. Then I get into true acceleration work. Uh, Chidi and AA, who is one of the sprint coaches over at Altus, I have him on speed dial, to be honest with you. Uh, I just talked to Dan this past week, but I just want to see how Dan was feeling from a health perspective. But I go back and listen to, to Charlie's stuff. I listen to Dan's stuff. I talk to Chidi all the time. Uh, you know, I look at what Mike's doing and what you guys are doing. I look at what all the – Michael Young down in, I think, it's North Carolina, I think does a great job. I look what all these people are doing. And I look at the context in which they're doing it in and who they're doing with. I talked to a friend of mine who I coached in college, Brandon Bird. He was talking about this guy in, in um, I think it was Florida, who was great at having these tremendous increases in – uh, vertical jump with his athletes. I said, wait a minute, hold on. I said, what qualification of athlete is he dealing with? Well, they're high school kids. I said, well, fuck. When you're a high school kid, your room for improvement is as big as Yoshi. You know, anything you do is going to work. When you get to the elite level, the room for improvement is so, so very narrow that you just don't fuck them up. You allow them to do what they do and help support what they do. But I think the sled dragging has helped us drastically. <clears throat> I think resisted training helps athletes. I think resisted sled work helps athletes tremendously uh, also. So we'll use resisted sleds and contrast those, which, you know, for, for a tremendous endocrine response, as Boosh Decksteiner talks about, <clears throat> excuse me, we'll use contrasted sled sprints. So those are the things that I see that you're never going to see a study on those are things I've just used for my athletes and watching them train and how they train. I'm not a big fanatic uh, on agility work or change of direction. You know, when James and I and Mikey were there, um, when we were at Pitt, you know, the first block of training, we did hill work. Uh, we did extensive tempo work. Uh, we started to introduce the concept of resisted running, which like I'm going to go back and say a valuable tool for specific power development and to provide contrast in your training regime. And variability, and I'm a, I love uh, variety. Um, like I, I hate to re revert or refer back to Bush next time, but he talks about proprioception staleness, staying with the same exercise over and over and over again. And I go back because I've been listening to I think two or three of his podcasts. But the second block, we actually started, and and I, I hope you remember this, Mike. You could go back, and they could throw as a team. So you should come back with your quarterbacks and receivers and skill people, and you could actually do routes. Well, there's your agility work right there. How more specific can you get? They're running the routes. They're doing what they need to do on the field. So in that couple of years that James and I were there, I can't remember any one time that we did change of direction work, and there is a difference between change of direction and agility and any type of agility training, to be honest with you. We did very little, and we had very little issues, soft tissue-wise. So those are things you're not going to see. Uh, I've seen programs that are strictly NSCA-biased. You know, which I'm not a big fan of the NSCA. I'm not a big fan of any uh, certification organization. I've seen guys that are certified, they're just straight idiots. Hmm. Well, after 41 years, now they're telling me I got to take that test for next year. I'm like, after 41 fucking years, you're going to tell me I got to take a test? How about you put, how about you redo your book and get some things right and stop telling people to run 300 yard shuttles as a great test for conditioning? or development of, of, of an energy system. So let's go back and let's correct what you're trying to have people pass on a test. So <clears throat> I had to get off on a tangent. 
but there you go. So for your contrast, you, you said the contrast sled work. What, what, are, what are you doing specifically? Are, are you doing a specific percentage? Well, uh, here's, what I, here's what I do, Mike. First of all, I, you know, I'm a firm believer speed development is one of the best potentiation exercises you can do. We all know that. I don't use sleds. And the reason I don't use sleds is because that initial jerk start, the sled pops up and then slams into the ground. So I got away from sleds. We have sleds that will drag or pull their upper body work with. We use chains. And we'll start off with two chains, which the chain drags along the ground, which my grounds crew is happy with because <laughs> it doesn't beat the ground, ground up as much. And most of you know, think about field sport athletes. They're not going to get in a three-point stance. Mm -hmm. uh, they're not going to get a stagger start. They're either jogging or walking. So when we first introduce it, it's a very easy uh, to take the edge off. We'll walk into our accelerations or we'll go into a falling start. It's easier on them, especially when you get guys who, like I said, we don't see them till the third week of April. I don't know if they follow the program or not. So you got to make a very quick assessment. You got to, you got to have, you have to do, you're trying to train a quality and develop that quality. But you have to back up a little bit and think, all right, nine-tensity, one-third of these guys didn't do this. I roll, look at the rule of thirds. A third of the guys have done something, a third of the guys have done nothing, a third of the guys have actually done what you've asked them to do. So you have, three, you know, you have everybody's all over the place. So this is the safest I've found to introduce them to the concept of acceleration uh, and speed enhancement or development. And we start off, again, the volume specific to each position. Do we ever achieve the max volumes? No, because we only got two weeks. And after two weeks, where are they at? They're back on the field with their coaches. So then I just try and fill in the gaps with the time that's taken away from me and given to the coaches. And then you're, next, and then you're into four weeks of OTAs. So I hope I answered that question, Book, and I hope I answered that question, Mike. But we'll do a set of like a walk-in 15-yard sprint with two chains, take a three- to four-minute break, and do walk-in sprint without the chains. I love hurdle bounding. I think what, it's one of the best plow, plow exercises you can do. What, what are you doing to quantify or, or justify the existence of that exercise? You know, we, have, we can put catapult on them and monitor their 10 yards or their 15 to make sure there's a, there, we look at drop-offs. Uh, I leave that up to Evan, who's my tech guy. Mm -hmm. But lately I've gotten away from that, Mike, because – there's just not enough time. I'd like to do kinogram on everybody. Yeah. But I can't do that. See, see, that's, that's what I mean. So with your population, I, I, I think about stuff like that all the time. Do you necessarily want to increase their ability to put out force in a short amount of time, in the short amount of time that you have them because maybe they can't sustain those types of outputs, right? Like I, I always think like, all right, hey, maybe the contrast that can get them faster you know, real quick, but just because I could get their 40 from a 4.5 to a 4.4 doesn't mean it's sustainable. Right. Exactly. And it's nine times out of 10, it's not. I just use it for potentiation. Mm -hmm. That's the only reason I use it for. And the exposed tissues to those high forces or velocities that they're going to experience when they get on the field. So I think every year you have to revisit the basics because there's too much of a break in the sport of American football. And think about this. Everybody's movement signatures or movement strategies are based on three things. Misconceptions, experience, and injuries. So everybody's going to move differently. But I use the sprints that we do as a potentiation effect, which enhances the quality 
of the ability of the body to handle those forces that they're going to be exposed to later in practice. But you're right. There is really not enough time. Yeah. And that's a shame because when I first, 2001 to 2000, yeah, 2001, 2003, when I was first with the Cleveland Browns, we could start in March and have an eight-week off-season program. Now it's basically two weeks. Two weeks is split with coaches, and then it's just all football, and you're 45 minutes to an hour after they're done with practice, then mandatory minicamp, and then you lose them for five weeks again. Yep. So, <clears throat> but I, I do think there's some value in it. I think there's value in everything that you do. I just think it's on how you use it, how you program it, and how your athletes respond to it in your environment, your context. So how have your guys been responding to it? They respond extremely well. Yeah. You know, they respond – well, if I – I don't – like I said, I would like to do kinogram all the time. The guys I have done it on have improved drastically that, abil that ability to collapse that lower limb into the upper leg <clears throat> to expend less energy mechanically as they bring that knee forward. We get – I don't want to – you know, I don't want – we get players from other teams who have really never done true acceleration or been exposed to max velocity work. I got guys who come here from other teams who can't jump on a box. Mm -hmm. And I think box jumping is one of the best exercises you can do, you know, but very few people, I think it's a, it's a, a great essential tool for speed and power development. And there's multiple ways you can perform a box jump whether it's seated, whether it's a static jump, whether it's a counter-movement jump, whether it's taking off two, landing on one, whether it's taking off one, landing on two, whether it's a depth jump, an altitude drop. There's multiple different variations. You just have to decide what are my guys prepared or ready for. So when we start our acceleration, we're going back with it. You know, the first couple of days, I bring Chidi over, and it's just 90%. It's not a full speed – excuse me. It's not a full speed acceleration because they're not ready for that. Mm -hmm. We follow Charlie's vertical integration – periodization concept because i think the more training targets you have you're better off going vertical integration the least training targets you have then you are block periodization yeah so when i refer to as a block i just that's a specific point in time and i don't write programs from actually more than two weeks in a row that's it and i want to see how they respond i don't i don't write anything for four five six eight to twelve weeks i think mm -hmm. that's a waste of time i go two weeks at a time see how they respond and then again <clears throat> If guys come in and you're going to do some tissue prep and you know, everybody rolls on a foam roller, if they're just lying around on the ground and they're using a foam roller as a pillow, and even if you put music on, they're not responding, it might be a good idea to make an adjustment in your program. Mm -hmm. You know, just because it's written on paper, don't be a paper coach. Don't say, okay, we're going to do this because it's on paper today. You know, when we see this, is just like our tempo work, my, my skill guys don't ever go more than 100 yards. Dan taught me a long time ago, if they can't run 100 yards, probably what makes you think they're going to do 150 even better or 200? Yeah. I'd love to program in some 150s or 200s. They can't handle it. They break down too much. So I find it 100 meters for a skill, 80 meters or 80 yards for our big skill, and my lineman never got more than 40, 50 yards, and that's yeah. it. Yeah. And even, and even that, they go once a week. The other times, like you and I have talked on a versa climber or rope work, mm -hmm. I save their legs. Because they get beat up to begin with. You mean you got three hundred pounder? Why would you want to run a three hundred pounder? Book. I don't know if you have that. Would run around run a three hundred pounder for three hundred yard shuttle or one fifties around a track or around a football field. Yeah, it's stupid. That's absurd. It's yeah, but, but people are doing it. For sure.
buddy, how much are you, so say like when you're doing your contrast work with the acceleration or any of your speed work in general, how much are you looking at trying to give them sort of technical advice in running? Like, are you giving them much sprint coaching or are you sort of due to the, to the body's natural ability to move in its own unique way? Are you kind of letting them run the way they are so you don't fuck up their mechanics and you're just exposing them to the right stimuli or are you actually trying to improve their movement efficiency too? Uh, I think it's a, that's a great question. Uh, before we even get into our, our acceleration work, we spend time um, four days a week because if it's important, I think it needs to be done daily. Uh, we'll do some dowel rod drills that I stole off of Franz Bosch just for lower leg work, yeah. lower leg action. I like power speed work for rhythm and relaxation. It all depends on the context you're using. And then our, on our low CNS days, we'll do dribbling, which I learned from Dan Paff and cheating. The guys, Stuart McMillan, Jason Heldern, and Andreas Tomas. Andreas over at uh, uh, Altus. Again, I bring Chidi over so he can get more of a technical uh, drill work after him. I think there is the optimal model, but like Dan says, there's bandwidths on either side. We're not all going to run the same. Uh, I watched a video three weeks ago of Tyson Gay and Asafa Powell and their start. <clears throat> and the, the significant difference in how they start is, is unique to each individual. Something Charlie taught me a long time ago, it, is it a peculiarity that the athlete has, and if you try to make change that peculiarity, you're going to fuck them up? Or mm -hmm. is it truly a dysfunction that, or an aberrant motor pattern that you need to address? Nine times out of ten, it's just a, a unique peculiarity to the athlete and how they mitigate anthropogenic measurements, you know, we're all differently structurally, anatomically, anthropometrically. You know, that's why I'm not, I'm not a big fanatic on saying we got to do a screen. Now, we do screen our athletes, and we look at certain things, but no screen has ever been a predictor for an injury. Mm -hmm. We all know that. You can't predict anything. Even but injuries I, aren't predictors of injuries. Yeah, exactly. Previous injuries are the greatest predictor of injuries. <clears throat> you can't look at somebody and say, you know what, three weeks from now he's going to pull a hamstring. If you look at the Nord board, and we have the Nord board because, again, it just gives us data and numbers. And I think in this, this day and age, we've created what I'm going to call data fog. I would love to see how some of the old time, like Charlie, if he was still alive, how he would uh, use data and all this scientific stuff that we use nowadays to monitor and address our athletes. I think he would have just said, you know what? It tells me something I already know. My guys are gassed. Yeah. You know, yeah. I can see that in their movement patterns. I can see that, how they carry themselves. I can see when a guy walks in in the morning, if he's had proper sleep. Uh, you know, we test hydration every day because it's, it's hot out here. And people think they're always hydrated enough. And you know what? Most of the time, you're really not. So <clears throat> I think we've created data fog where some people have all these collect data collecting things that they can't see the, see the forest through the trees and they're, they're afraid to train just like corrective exercises or somebody failing your screen. Telling somebody you can't train because you failed a screen is like telling somebody you can't lift weights because you're not strong enough. I mean, where's it, where's it going to end? So <clears throat> we do use that stuff. But, you know, I've always said once I saw the, the Nordic hamstring exercise, I'm like, first of all, there's very few people that can handle the eccentric. It looks like shit. And second of all, it's not the end all to be all exercise. Everybody thinks it is. I think nowadays the research is showing you're better off sprinting to change those fascial lengths than along have the bicep uh, for Morris than you are doing Nordic hamstring work. And to me, a Nordic hamstring, like James 
James Smith had a, a text once, and he just said, it's just another hamstring exercise. Yeah. And I agree. It's just another hamstring exercise. I think it's a combination of, yeah, you got to do slow eccentrics. Yeah, you got to do fast eccentrics. Yeah, you got to train hamstring at high speeds. It's all on how you program. But I think it still comes down to, had they been exposed to those forces, <clears throat> excuse me, they're going to encounter in a sporting activity. And if you remember, Mike, in our office at Pitt, James had a sign above his desk. Yep. Number one reason for hamstring injuries, fatigue. Mm-hmm. Everything else is a what? Distant second. And I'll believe this to the day I die. What are they prepared for? What are they prepared to handle? That's why this five-week period before, uh, after OT, our mandatory minicamp, and, and they actually go to camp, I think it's one of the biggest mistakes ever. They don't need five weeks off. If anything, back up the program so that maybe a week. But five weeks is ridiculous. I think it's too much. You get, so, you get your athlete too far away. So, so going back to the even uh, previous injuries, the greatest predictor of injury, uh, here's, here's some stats for you. Abnormalities found on scans in asymptomatic people, people that don't have any problems. Any symptoms. Yep. No symptoms whatsoever. 1,211 uh, necks were MRI'd between mm-hmm. the ages of 20 and 70. 87% of them had bulging discs. Oh, I believe that. Same with the lower lumbar. So, and so we're going to low, lower lumbar next. 3,110. 20-year-olds, uh, 37% of 20-year-olds had disc degeneration. 96% of 80-year-olds had disc degeneration. These are people that are asymptomatic. Asymptomatic. That have these quote-unquote <laughs> issues. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. The bottom line is even injury is not a predictor of injury or pain, of injury. right? Or dysfunction, <laughs> right? So we have no fucking we have no idea. idea. No. Listen, mm-hmm. I don't think medical science has actually figured out the human body. It's too complex of an organism. It's a systems of systems, and no system works independent of any other system. I was listening to a podcast. <clears throat> Book, you might know this guy. I was there, Scott, Chris Robinson. Have you ever heard of him? No. He was talking about athletic neurology where if I'm a young, if I'm young, I'm three years of age and I get a virus <clears throat> and that virus not only affects my body, but it affects certain viscera, glands and organs. It affects the nervous system and grains in the nervous system. So 10 years down the road, something, a smell or just something triggers that memory. I can start to adversely affect that tissue, those organs, those glands, just based on what was ingrained in my nervous system from before. So the complexity of the human body, I mean, we don't know. Think about when you go into uh, your doctor and you tell them something's wrong. Like, I have high blood pressure now. Let's try this medication. Well, guess what? It ain't working. All right, come back. Let's try this medication. All right, this one works. It's just trial and error. You know, when you get in, you can look at an MRI, Mike. But This is why I never ask surgeons how the surgery went day after surgery. Because you're always going to get this. It was great. We did it. it was, everything was perfect. Wait about six weeks, then go back and ask them. Then you'll get, well, you know, what we saw in there wasn't exactly what we saw in the MRI because MRIs are inconclusive. And like you said, people are walking around with issues and they don't know it. Now, here's the problem with that. You let them know it, all of a sudden it becomes an issue. Yep. Because now mentally, I start to think, oh shit, I got an issue. I didn't know I had the issue, but now I got an issue. So I think that, is a mistake in itself also, you know? And I think we have created neurotic athletes, to be honest with you, where people rely too much on uh, physical therapy 
listen, in the off season for us, again, in American football, January, February, March, April, before they get here in April, you don't need cupping. You don't need soft tissue work. You don't need all this other stuff, these advanced recovery methods. Let, let the body do its job. The inflammation, the hormonal changes, the metabolic stress, the enzymatic disruptions are all part of the adaptation process. Why would you blunt that process? Why would you blunt the effectiveness of using something advanced in recovery so when the time comes that you need it, it's not as effective anymore? You want the best recovery, just go get a good night's sleep. But you're not going to go on Instagram and somebody's going to say, I had a great workout today because I, I slept nine hours. I was well hydrated <laughs> and I ate great. You're not going to see that. It's not cool. Like Charlie Francis used to say, simple doesn't sell. And that's mm -hmm. the problem. We become, we, and we developed athletes that, and I got one now. If he's not touched every day in the training room, he can't function. Yeah. The very first day he walked into this facility, he didn't walk in a weight room. He didn't walk in a locker room to go to his locker. He went right in the training room. I looked at both my assistants and I said, that's going to be a problem. And it's isn't been a problem. A, isn't this even a bigger, bigger problem just with like culture in general, like always looking for someone else that knows the right answer for us? You know, like if you look at the... They're like the legends in different sports, like even go back to like Mushashi from the Samurai, you know, or Bruce <clears> Lee, or say like in the body, the old school bodybuilders that were sort of discovering their own techniques by experimenting on themselves the whole time. Yep. They managed to make very, like huge quantum leaps in understanding because of what they took radical responsibility for themselves. Do you know what I mean? Like nowadays we've got a bunch of like kids that, I have a couple guys, like pro ice hockey guys, they don't even bring water to training because they've been given water since they were kids. When they turn up, towels there, water's there. Like, you know, do you know what I mean? Like they don't have to They don't do shit nothing. for themselves. Yeah, they Everything don't Everything is done for them. Exactly right. Yeah. And that's the problem that I have with this generation of entitlement. Yes, you have to follow rules. Yes, rules do apply to you. And yeah, you got to take some responsibility for yourself and accountability. Stop pointing the finger and blaming everybody else for what you didn't do. I also believe, Booker, if you're aware of what you're doing, you have more of a buy-in to the program. And when you give people – so I like to give people choices here. You don't feel like benching for the day? Okay, well, dumbbell bench. But I'm going to control the volume. I'm going to control the loads based on what I know you can do because I, I really don't want guesswork, to be honest with you. I like to be, I'm a paranoid strength coach or physical preparation coach. I like to be able to control everything. If you feel good, we'll go. If you don't feel good – and that's why I give people a leeway in percents or reps. I may assign a percent, and they're just guidelines. And I don't think any guideline or any formula out there for training contencies can cover all the variables involved in training, as you know. I don't mm -hmm. think there's any one that does that. <clears throat> so what is his name? Miladin Jovanovic uh, from Serbia. I did a great Miladin. article. Yeah, yeah Miladin on um, uh, different training maxes. You have a competitive max. You have an estimated uh, max and you have a, an estimated training max and you have an actual daily training max, which that daily training max, you know, is going to fluctuate on a daily basis based on residual fatigue from practice. And, you know, when you don't have to practice, you can get stronger two to three times faster than anybody else. Yeah. But when you have to expend energy in the sporting activity and the sporting skill, that's the, that, that, that's the, you know, the human body is about one thing, energy. So when they're practicing, the technical, technical, and psychological aspect of the game is taking precedence. How much energy do you think I got left to hammer them in a weight room? Yep. Or to do large volume or massive amounts of weight? All I'm doing is depleting their ability to recover and rob, like I said before, Robin Peter to pay Paul. There's a time and place for everything. 
But I think nowadays, yes, you're right, but athletes got to step up like Dan Path says. I mean, it's 50-50. You've got to take some responsibility. What do you mean you didn't bring water? What the fuck, am I your mother? I'm going to wipe your ass too? <laughs> Blow your nose for you? Tuck you in at night? You know, but that, you know, and everybody wants to point the finger because it's, it's his fault, you know, it's this. Listen, when I grew up, my parents were divorced when I was 15. My youngest brother was five. My father was a, a drunk and a womanizer. He declared bankruptcy, so he didn't support us. We got evicted from the house, car repossessed, furniture repossessed. I was raised by my mother who worked as a bank teller and on public assistance, or what was back then called welfare. And my mother used to ingrain in our heads, tough shit, don't feel sorry for yourself. Deal with it. You better get tough because life's a bitch. You can't say that to a kid nowadays. They'll whine. They'll whine. They'll post it on Facebook. Do you know what this guy said to me? You know, we, we're, not, we're not raising men. We're raising grown-up little boys is what we're doing. And I see it all the time. Listen, we all go through some shit in our life, right? But you know what? Listen, I have a daughter who's on a liver transplant list. And I'm 2,000 miles away from her. Was it two years ago? When coach first got here, I spent my vacation in Cleveland Clinic because her gallbladder had gone bad. When I went in to see my daughter in the room, she was yellow and had lost weight. So there's a tremendous stressor. But you know, you know, I, my daughters have been my daughters have been raised to be tough. You know, they both work. You know, Claire kept me sane being a nurse. And I spent my vacation next to my my child in Cleveland Clinic. You know, and that was after visiting Claire in Florida and leaving Florida because Kara was rushed to the Cleveland Clinic and they had to take her gallbladder out. So everybody has shit they got to deal with. And as a parent, you know, you're always a parent for life. You, you know, my oldest daughter, Kara, is 34. My youngest daughter, Claire, is 29. You're always going to be a parent. So in the back of my mind, and I'm fortunate to work for a great man, a Michael Bidwell, who just says, you know, if you got to go, you go. Same with Steve Kine, our GM. Same with Cliff Kingsbury, our head coach. They come up to me that when they found out Kara was sick, and, they, and literally our owner threw me off the field. He said, get the fuck, get out of here. Go home. I don't want you on practice field anymore. <clears throat> and I left that next day. I left that night. So we all got stuff to deal with, but you can't use it as an excuse. You know, too many people want to use an excuse. It's your responsibility as an athlete to take responsibility and accountability for yourself. You know, if you're going to do something stupid out in the public, there's a consequence. Just like I said before, for every physical action, there's a cost. For every action you do as an individual on this planet, there's a cost. You have, if you're not willing to pay the consequence, then don't do it. It's that simple. But yeah, I agree with you 100%. We're creating an entitled society, and it's, I don't deal with politics. I don't want to deal with it. But you know, you got to step up. I can't do everything for you. Next thing I do, next thing you know, I'll be lifting loads for you. Oh, you stand off to the side. Don't sweat. Don't fuck. Don't sweat. Let me do the setup. <laughs> deadlifts for you or try bar pulls. I'll do it. But there, there. Now, now you got credit for it. There. Now you're good. Now you're done for today. But yeah, I agree with you 100%, Booker. Yeah, guys that don't bring their own water or their own towel. Jesus. Man, that's just so. Yeah. I always tell people, you know, I grew up in the 70s. We had no cell phones. We had three channels. TV went off at midnight and got out. You woke up at seven in the morning. You know, I think technology has ruined society. I'm not a fan of Bill Gates. You ruined society. You've created lazy people. I can cure all the movement, so-called movement dysfunctions, um, 
in this world by one thing. Get rid of computers, let kids go back out and play. Let them solve complex motor patterns in a chaotic, unpredictable environment. This nonsense is saying, you know what, you can't do plyometrics unless you squat two times your body weight. When I was 10 years old, I used to run off my back patio, back porch, back deck, which was five feet off the ground, just land and take off running. <laughs> and I couldn't, I, I couldn't squat my own body weight. My brothers and I used to run up and down hills. We were jumping. We were, and I'm like, and now I look at this stuff. I'm like, what do you think play is? These guidelines are ridiculous that you're imposing on people saying, no, nope, can't do this. All right. And in sport, think about sport, youth basketball. They jump, don't they? Or are they just supposed to stand there and not go for a rebound because on the back of his shirt that says he can't squat two times his body weight, he can't jump. <laughs> yeah, but you so know? many people also think that you can sort of, you can bake a world-class athlete in the oven. You know, oh, if they just, if I just get him to squat and I get him to do this and I get him to do this new style of training, which is just some old shit repackaged that you can produce yeah. a world-class athlete, but you can't. These guys are born. You know, you can still get good results out of people, but to get to the top level, you're not building them in the gym. No. No, you, you know, Ralph Mann's book on sprinting and hurling mechanics talks about seven or eight performance limiting, performance limiting factors. And those seven to eight performance limiting factors, we control, you know how many? One. One. Development rate. Exactly. That's it. <laughs> that's, not, that's, that's, not a great, that's not a great ratio, to be honest with you. So like you said, well, there's a lot to be said for choosing your parents. Wait, I can try, listen. I've trained like Arnold. I don't know if you guys, you guys are too young, but there was a book written called Three More Reps that detailed the training program of like Danny Padilla, Mike Katz, Franco Colombo, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Serge Nubray. Let me think who else is. Dennis Tinarino was in there. Guys, you never heard of the old time bodybuilding. I used to do their programs religiously. Arnold's chest program was 25 sets. <laughs> <laughs> but I did it every day. I did every time I went to chest. I, I followed Arnold's program. I remember the back in the day, everybody's doing what? 10, 8, 6, 4, 2, the old plastic pyramid. And that's all I did. But you know what? It worked. Now, it only worked for so long. I remember when I really first started getting into lifting, and the reason I got into lifting was because of Olympic sprinter named Harvey Glantz. You guys remember Harvey Glantz? He was on the 4 by 100 meter U.S. Olympic uh, gold medal team. He was the first athlete sprint athlete that they came out and talked about how strong he was. They talked about, and back in the early, late 70s, early 80s, when I was in college in the late 70s, if you could bench 350 as a sprinter, that was unheard of. That's why I started lifting weights. Because in my mind, I just thought, oh, he got stronger. So it must have helped him. But like I said, yeah, it'll, it'll help you in the beginning. But what it was doing is making his body more tolerant to the forces that it, he was exposing you to sprint-wise. So that's why I think you know, sprinters lift, so it just makes the, the tissue and the, the structural integrity of the system more tolerable to those forces that they incur sprinting. So it shifts from being very specific to getting you fast to very, just very general. I still got to go out and run fast. But like you said, yeah, there, there's a lot to be said for genetics. A lot to be said. I think there's also uh, windows of opportunity that you can take advantage with in the development of young athletes. And I think the female athlete, I think it's 6 to 8, 11 to 13, the male is 7 to 9, 13 to 16. That's based on Istvan Bollier's stuff that he did with the Canadian Olympic team. And this is ancient. You know, this might have changed. But this is when the Canadians 
didn't even win a gold medal or a medal in Olympics. I forget what Olympics was at, but they redid, they went back and redid their whole long-term athletic development program. Think about this now. This, the Olympics has been canceled. How would you like to be an Olympic athlete training yeah. on quadrennials and ready to peak? And all of a sudden you've got to go, uh-oh, yep. i got to back up. I'm not comp- yeah. i got to wait another year. Can you imagine how now, how really instinctive they got to be with their training? And sometimes I think, you know what, as, as physical preparation coaches, and I know you do this, Mike, I know you do it, Bookers, I've heard you talk about it, you guys are more, just as instinctive as you are intelligent. Mm. You know, what are my athletes displaying to me? What's, sometimes, Molly used to ask me all the time, how do you do that? I said, it's just a gut feeling. Darling. Yeah. It's just, it's just a gut feeling, you know? I, this is what I see, this is my gut feeling. I'm going to go with it and it would work. Yep. You know, so I think there's a lot to be said. Like they say, there's a science, there's an art. But to me, there, there's a tremendous art in coaching. I've been doing this, like I said, 41 years, still learning. But there is an art that I see things that I just, uh, that don't look right. Yep. You know, so here's what we're going to do. You know that you were with me at Pitt. This didn't look right. So here's mm-hmm. what we're going to do to change this. So <clears throat> I think awareness and teaching the athlete what they do and why they do so they can buy into it and have some say, not, not say, because with young kids, you've got to be more structured and disciplined, but older guys, give them a little say-so in their program, it's amazing what they'll do for you. But I've always said, you know, they really don't care what you know until they care that you know. I mean, that they know that you care about them. Yep. And that's why I write so many different programs and so many different guys are doing so many different things because this is what I see. This is what I think will benefit you at this point in time. Now, this may change as you change, as your fatigue levels change, as your adaptation of cur- to the program, to being on the practice field changes. But this is what I see right now, and this is what we're going to do. This is how I'm going to help you. And th- they love that. You know, so nothing is set in stone. Many roads lead to Rome. I think it's just continued awareness of learning. Uh, and like I said, two guys like you, who I think are young pioneers, are really going to change this profession. Because <clears throat> my general, you know, I'm too old. I'm, too, I'm on my last chapter, whether it's in life or whether in my career. I've, I've told our owner, I've told everybody, I, I can coach till I'm 70. I know I can. There's no question in my mind. Um, one, because I have to. Because <laughs> 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 a divorce and a failed business opportunity cost me everything. I, you know, people, I always tell this. I came here with a Harley and a suitcase, and that was it. I was flat broke. My next step was going on the streets selling trucks, you know. Uh, but you know, thankfully to the Arizona Cardinals uh, organization, this is and the the three different head coaches I've worked for, and our owner, our our GM, I'm still here. I don't know how, but I, I did. You know, Monica, I did buy a house. We've redone most of it. I actually have a pool in my backyard, which growing up poor in the thriving metropolis of Library, PA, I never thought I'd own, and that's why. My backyard is my haven. There's a wall yeah. around it, so nobody really sees me running around the backyard naked. <laughs> so, so this one, is an important – go on, Michael. No, 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 you go, you go, you go, go. Well, I was going to say, I mean, people that are you know, going to be listening to this through, they ain't got a clue who you are. So, this, Buddy Morris, you're, you're leading up the program at the Arizona Cardinals. You mentioned earlier on about when your, your dad packed up and left at 15. I want to know, how did you get into coaching? Like, if we go back to then, what led you in your life to be the, you know, this unique person that you are now? Like, if we go all the way back to then, what, give us like a little run through. 
I went to college on a track and field scholarship to Indiana State, Terre Haute, Indiana. Uh, after one semester, was an idiot, fell in love, came home for my girlfriend. She dumped me two weeks after I came home. <laughs> <laughs> That's not funny, motherfucker. Stop that. <laughs> I should have seen her writing on a wall when she was supposed to pick me up at the airport, and she didn't. <laughs> was, and, and now, here's what's funny. She's a lesbian. <laughs> That even makes it worse. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I come home and it, I remember sleeping on the couch. And I thought, I'm going to have a couple days off here. My mother goes, get up. You're going to work for Jackie Penrod, who I, his brother and I were close friends. You're going to start doing roofing and siding, hanging aluminum siding in the middle of fucking winter. So my mother already had a job for me because my brothers and I all turned 18. She gave us two choices, military or college. There is no, there's no, in, no, there's no other choice. It's one or the other. So I went back to the University of Pittsburgh, earned a track scholarship. Um, towards the end of my junior year, it was just, you know, we, we tried it. Back in the day, Villanova was one of the top uh, middle distance teams in the country. And our head track coach was a shot put coach, a uh, thrower. He had no idea about the sprints. He tried to make us a middle distance team. Uh, I'm not a quarter miler. I'm not a half miler. Uh, so... I decided I'm done. I'm just going to pay for my own way to college. But I had started lifting weights because, you know, hearing about Harvey, Harvey Glantz. So I went up to Jackie Sherl, who's then the head football coach at the University of Pittsburgh in 1980. And I said, hey, Coach Sherl, you have a better weight room than a student weight room. Can I use your weight room? And it's funny because the year before when I was still running track, there was a kid who still holds Pitt's interception record, Bob Jury, who I played college football, I mean high school football with, a good friend of mine, and Jeff Delaney who played in – uh, the next school district over, I became good friends with it. And I started helping them with their 40 time. Lo and behold, I started helping all the pit guys seniors with their 40 time. He calls me in the office after I had graduated and after he gave me permission to use weight room and says, uh, you want to be a GA? So I was going to, I said, yeah, I'll, I'll love to be a GA. So I graduate. I don't hear a word from him for two weeks. I interview for European health spa, which is just one of those, you know, um, multi-level or um, national chains. So I'm a day away from going to work with for European House Spa. And uh, I get a call from Kip Smith, who's a trainer. He says, Coach Sherl wants to talk to you. So I went in his office. We talked. He says, you think you can do the job? I said, yes, you threw me the keys. That was it. <laughs> and here's the funny about that. I never got approved by the athletic administration. So I worked from like the end of April all the way till I think the first week of August before I got a paycheck. Coach Sherl was giving me money out of his own pocket so I didn't have a car. So I had to take a streetcar and bus and walk the hill and to and from work. Uh, I remember painting the weight room, you know, arranging the equipment we had at the time. Arthur Jones and high-intensity training was big, so everybody had to know the circuit. The bench press, we had two bench presses in the back room, three-quarter-inch plywood with a vinyl covering with wide uprights. You went over two and a quarter, the whole bench shook. Uh, <laughs> We had the old time iron cast dumbbells. We were missing the 40s, 45s, 150, and maybe one or 60 because players had taken them down the room to get that, you know, that pump before they would go out on weekends. And that's how I got started. And very fortunate that I had a guy in Jackie Sherl, who I love to death. I still stay in touch with Coach Sherl, who had the vision and insight to say, you know what? This is the future of college football. And he hired me. And he hired me without being approved. So eventually they approved me and I stayed there my first 10 years until my, my daughter Kara was diagnosed with autoimmune chronic active hepatitis, which is 
an auto a progressive liver disease. So <clears throat> I left for seven years, uh, went to work in a PT clinic, went to work with high school athletes, got called to come back to Pitt, went back, uh, then went to the Cleveland Browns. Uh, I have spent three years unemployed, which is the worst three years of my life. Yep. Uh, I don't care who you are as a man, you don't want to be unemployed. You don't want to have, you do not, do not want to not to be able to earn money. I mean, that's what makes us men is the fact that we get up, go to work and earn our money. You know, that's why I'm fortunate that I'm still allowed to be in the building and work with some of the uh, guys who are rehabbing from off-season injuries or guys we signed from other teams who had come with some issues. Uh, so I'm still allowed to come to work. I get here at 730, I leave at 1. And then I go home and write programs on a computer or take a course, listen to podcasts or read. So that's how I got started. Um, like I said, I, I've been through good times. I've been through bad times. I've been to the penthouse and I've been to the shit house. So that's why I've always been humbled enough to appreciate and be grateful to be where I am. It's a privilege to be in the NFL. It's a privilege to be a part of an organization where if it wasn't for Charles Bidwell and the Hallis family and the Rooney family, there'd probably be no NFL. You know, so I'm very fortunate to be and have an owner that actually likes me and comes down and talks to me. <laughs> Again, why I'm still here. And, you know, I was given a new contract, so I'm, I'm good to 65, but you're never good in this league. Everybody knows that. You know, every day I got to come to work and work my ass off, uh, and I'll program, I'll think, I'll motivate, I'll learn, I'll study everybody else in this country. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, you got to take that personally. That's why I enjoy listening to you guys. That's why, you know, if I have questions, I reach out. Uh, but I'm constantly studying and constantly reading, but that's how I got started, and that's where I am today. Very fortunate and very privileged. Oh, so one last question, buddy, and then we're going to let you go. Yeah, are, you wear, are you wearing a sleeveless collared shirt? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, you expect something else? <laughs> Dude, I have the same thing. People think I'm crazy. You know what I started doing, though? I started cutting off the collar to my collared shirts. So now I have collardless button-up sleeveless shirts. People think I'm fucking crazy. This already didn't have a collar. And it's funny, when we got these, our two equipment managers, uh, Schwim and Parker, they're two characters, you know, just what you would think of two young equipment managers would be like, they're funny as fuck. All my T-shirts are already cut off. These are already cut off by the time so I get nice. my shit in my room. So they grabbed a bunch of these that are kind of like a collared button-down. Let me see it. Like, put, put it on. Let me see. The collar. A flat collar. See it? Yep. And they cut the sleeves off for me. So that's, that's how, uh, and I, and usually around the facility, I walk around bare feet. Yep. And nobody says a word. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, all you get is this. And that's just fucking buddy. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't even try. You know, even, even Coach Kingsbury figured out real quick. He goes, you're a creature of habit, aren't you? I said, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> how long you been doing the barefoot thing? God, for, uh, you know, when I first got here, I didn't know I had psoriatic arthritis. Uh, and I, and my hands, when we were living in that place in New York, would always swell. My feet would always swell. And I got, I, we had, every year we get a physical from Dr. Cool, uh, our team physician. <clears throat> and I'm in there getting a physical. He looks at me, he goes, you know, you have psoriasis. I, but yeah, I've been told I have psoriasis. I have the patchy skin on, you know, kind of behind my ears, on my knees. Uh, on my, my belly button, he goes, you also have psoriatic arthritis. 
And I remember before they put me on the medication I'm on, uh, my hands would be so swollen that I couldn't ride my Harley to work and I only lived a mile up the street. Yeah. Um, my feet got so bad. I had our foot and ankle surgeon tell me, and Anthony, Anthony Proley was standing right there and he said, you ruptured a tendon in your foot. And I said, no, no, fuck, I did not. It's my arthritis. He goes, no, you ruptured a tendon. I got back on my medication, inflammation went away. So being in Arizona in the dry heat is one of the best things in the world for me. It's, once you've lived in the sun, it's hard to go back to anything else. <laughs> yep. you know, I'm, I'm not into the cold. I'm not into the gray. I'm not into the rain. Um, in Pittsburgh, and don't, don't get me wrong, I'm proud to be a Pittsburgher. I love the University of Pittsburgh. Pit football would be dear, always be dear to my heart. But I'm not interested in getting on roads where every, every fucking summer half the roads are shut down for road work. It's the same section of roads you did last year. What did you do that you have to redo this year? <laughs> you know, and you have to put up the orange cones everywhere. And the tra whoever developed the traffic patterns in Pittsburgh was a fucking straight moron. Uh, didn't, but that's why I hardly ever go back east. My daughters come here. I go back for a little bit to visit Kara. This year I couldn't because of the corona stuff and because, you know, the uncertainty of when camp was going to start and the fact that I'm one of the only ones allowed in the building. So I was unable to visit my daughters. So Claire and Greg, my son-in-law, will meet me in Dallas for that game and Kara will come out here with her uh, fiancé uh, for a game. So other than, that, other than missing my children like crazy, you can fucking have that East Coast nonsense. <laughs> All due respect. Same with Switzerland. <laughs> all right old man we love you thank you so much for getting on here love you guys i appreciate your time yeah. uh honored to know you guys continue to be the pioneers that you are so we can actually change this profession how we perceive what it really takes to develop uh optimal performance levels and what their sporting requirements are and understand that you know strength is just one aspect it's not the end all to be all like everybody thinks it is Buddy, it's such a pleasure, man. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate it. God bless. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. Later, brother. All right. Bye-bye.